And it says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. How long? To the end of the age. I want to preach to you this morning on the topic of missions. Let's pray and ask God for His help. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this, this moment in time in which we're able to dedicate a space for ministry. And uh, God, as we do so, we ask that You would lift our heads up and that we might see the nations. And that we might have a passion for what You have a passion for that your glory would be made known among all peoples. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Adoniram Judson had every opportunity for wealth and ease. He was smart, he was young, he was talented, and this young man decided, instead of pursuing all of the world's goods, he would give up everything he knows and go to Burma. Burma, one of the hardest, most brutal countries of his day. Now known as Myanmar, it's a small country just west of Vietnam. And the year he boarded a ship was 1812, which means he boarded a ship, not a plane. In those days, for him to go to Burma would require months of dangerous travel at sea. For him to leave home, there was no Zoom, there was no email, there, there was no way to get letters back and forth, at least not easily, and there was no coming and going. It was going, and it was staying. Now, he, Adoniram, encountered a massive problem just before he boarded ship. He fell in love with a young girl named Anne. She was 23 years old. She came from a family that loved her, and he fell in love with her. And so... Adoniram wrote a letter to Anne's father asking for her hand in marriage. This was uh, the letter. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. To see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to, to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of Him who left His heavenly home, and died for her and for you. For the sake of perishing immortal souls. For the sake of Zion and the glory of God. 
Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Father's in the room. I wonder how you would answer that request for your daughter's hand in marriage. Her, her, her father said yes. He consented. You can marry her and she can go. Why would someone leave all of the comforts and ease of life to go to a place that is hard and hostile? There, Adoniram and Anne would bury their babies because of the hardships they would face. Adoniram would eventually be imprisoned He would be tortured, hung upside down by his feet over a mosquito-infested swamp. All the while, his wife Anne would get sick, and while he was in prison being tortured, she suffered and died. Why would you consider to do something like that? Why would... Even today in our modern era, why would, why would you consider leaving your family and friends and home culture to go some other place that's hard? Why would we as our church send out some of our best people to go overseas? We've sent out Jaden Gadsden. Come on, Jaden? Luke Gibbons? Why would we give a a chunk of our income? We have so many needs right around Baltimore City and in our own neighborhood. Why would we give a chunk of our income, a good percentage of our church income, to go elsewhere to fund work in other parts of the country? Well, we're in a series called Peculiar People. This is the last sermon in that series. And what we've been doing is defining what a healthy church is. Because not every church is a healthy church, let's just be honest. And so we're asking, we've been asking for the last eight weeks, what is a healthy church? Because I think sometimes people think, you know, the garden does things that way because that's just the way Joel likes it, or that's the way the elders are, or that's uh, because they're small, or uh, because they're, you know, uh, not, a, not, not a, uh, just a small group because they've got some people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've heard all sorts of reasons as to why we do things. And so we've been wanting to step back and say, you know, aside from music, when we pull away the culture and you pull away kind of the wrappings, if you would, what are the building blocks for a healthy church here, whether you're uh, in the States or there, whether you're in Myanmar? What are the building blocks for a healthy church, whether you're a small church that meets in a home or a large church that meets in a cathedral or a mega church that, leaves, uh, that meets in a, in a former mall? Like, let's take away all of the various kinds of churches, but what are the building blocks of a healthy church? So what we've been looking at biblically is expositional preaching. 
interesting enough, this has been a topical series where we're looking at a bunch of different passages around a topic, but the very first mark that we wanted to mention was that a healthy church is a church that embraces expositional preaching. Working through the Bible, God's Word, lift it up. The Gospel, a right understanding of the Gospel. A right understanding of conversion and why that matters. The fourth week we looked at belonging, church membership, and church discipline and why that matters. The fifth week, we looked at the topic of growth, discipleship, that a church, a healthy church has growing people. We looked at the topic of evangelism, a right understanding and practice of evangelism. The seventh week, we looked at church leadership, elders and deacons. And then today, our last week, we're looking at this topic of missions. A healthy church has a right understanding and practice of missions. Now, there's two points that I want to make today, so we're going to keep it fairly simple, because there's a lot we could say on missions. Point number one is this. God wants the glory of his mercy known among the nations. And point number two is this. Therefore, the church wants the glory of God's mercy known among the nations. That's why this matters. So let's get into that first point. God wants the glory of His mercy known among the nations. Keep your bookmark in Matthew 28 and go back to Genesis chapter 1. You notice we've been doing this almost every week, starting with Genesis 1, 2, or 3. Because we've got to start at the beginning to understand where we're at with God's revelation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. It reads this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all creeping things that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Pause. God created image bearers. You look at these two in the garden, and they are displays of God's glory. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Meaning, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 isn't the first place where we see God's desire that the earth be filled with His glory. But rather, it begins in creation. In Genesis chapter, two, chapter 1, where God tells Adam and Eve, you are image bearers, now as displays of my glory, go and fill the earth. How many of you know that God is a God that does not change? Let me ask that question again because I think only three of you answered. How many of you know that God is an unchanging God? God is a God who has plans that don't change. God's intentions don't change. God's ways don't change. There has never been a time in history where God had plan A which failed and then He had to go on to plan B. 
God has never been surprised by sin and said, oh, well, let me figure this one out. Humans really wrecked it up this time. Let me kind of figure out how I can kind of make something out of this mess. But rather, God today is the same God as he was yesterday. And today, he's the same God as he is forever. Amen? Amen. Meaning, when humanity falls into sin, God's plan is merely unfolding not changing. So God in Genesis 1 calls the first humans to fill the earth with his glory. They fall into sin. God begins his plan of redemption, calls a nation. The nation's uh, name is Israel. And uh, Israel in the uh, beginning of the Old Testament is called to fill the earth with God's glory. So in uh, Psalm 67, if you would turn to page 450, and if you're using a pew Bible, page 450, Psalm chapter 67, verse 3 and 4. It says this, Let the peoples, somebody say peoples. Let the peoples... That means all the various ethnic groups, meaning not just this one nation, not just this one people, not just the circumcision. Every language, every tribe, all around the globe, he says, let the peoples praise you. Oh, this is in the Old Testament, by the way. This is, uh, this is a thousand years before the Great Commission was given. He goes on to say, let the peoples praise you he says it again let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth meaning it was God's grand plan from the very beginning that as he's calling this people of Israel to be his display of glory um, uh, it would be they would be a display of glory among the nations for the nations so that his, his glory might be seen among all of the peoples that his glory might fill the earth. There are hundreds of passages throughout the Old Testament on Israel declaring the glory of God to the nations. And on the nations praising God. Just listen to Psalm 97.1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. You hear that? Or Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven: All the ends of the earth, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Psalm 18, 49. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Now, as they're going out to the nations, what is it that they're singing about? What are they rejoicing in? I want you to wrap your minds around this truth for just one second. God exists for His own glory. God exists for His own glory. Meaning, God wants, more than anything, His name to be praised. Now, that's hard for you to understand, and let me tell you why. Because if you were to exist for your own glory, that would be bad. 
If I were to exist for my own glory, if I were to exist that my name might be made great, that my fame might be, might be manifested, that my beauties is, you know, just look, I mean, come on now. You know, that everybody would see the beauty of Joel Kurz. The problem with that is this. There is a higher glory than all of us. And so for us to say that it's about us is to rob the greatest from what is due their name. Now, if we turn that around, what we understand is this. If God were to say that He is not primarily about His own glory, then that means there is a higher being other than God that should get the, get the praise and get the glory. You see, God would be wrong. God would be wrong to not seek His praise, His fame, His name. God is right and God is loving and God is kind for us to know that He wants His own glory to be known. Are you with me? You see, this is humanity's problem. This is the core of our problem. This goes back to creation as well. We want to be the center. We ultimately, in our sin, we don't like this because we want God ultimately to be about us. We want to be the center because we tend to exist for ourselves. Us and ours. Meaning, you've got your problems over there, and I've got my problems over here, and I frankly don't have time to care about your problems when I have my own issues. Amen? And we could say, well, since Baltimore City has so many problems, since our city has poverty, since our city has an issue of, of joblessness and homelessness, the, the homicide rate is still sky high. I mean, there are so, there's so much work to be done here. Why do we care about the problems of people that we don't even know? You see, this is humanity's problem, us and ours. My needs. And it's not just about like Baltimore City versus the world. It's actually about me versus everybody else. This is humanity's issue. We should care about the nations. We can't. We don't. Because we tend to, in our flesh, worship ourselves. Glorify our own stories. But what God does in His Word is God shows us that what's of utmost importance is His glory. His story. His beauty. His worth. His brilliance. His magnificence. Now this must be understood if we understand missions. Like I could give you some guilt trips on problems in the world and how people need Jesus. And that's worth talking about. But guilt trips never last. What will last is, an, uh, is a, 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 a blazing focus on the glory of God. This has to be understood for us to understand missions. Listen to these words from Scripture. Isaiah 43, bring my sons from afar who I created for my glory. Bring them from afar, the nations, whom I created, why? 
What purpose? For my glory. Psalm 106. He saved them for His name's sake, that He might be made known and His mighty power might be made known. Isaiah chapter 14.4 on the Exodus. I will get glory, He says, over Pharaoh, that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Do you see God's heart as it's laid out in the Old Testament that God is about His glory and that God acts for His namesake and that God saves so that He might get the glory. This continues on in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5. Shine your light before others so that they might do what? Give glory to the Father for His namesake. 1 Peter chapter 4, whoever serves, serve by the strength that God provides. Why? In order that in everything, God might be glorified. Do you see the theme? How about Ephesians chapter 2? We're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Why? Lest any of us should get the glory. Should have something to brag about. God has operated, designed, created, planned everything to exist so that He might receive maximum glory. God exists for His own glory. For the fame of His name. For the majesty. For His own majesty. But what does this mean practically? Like, what is the glory of God? Is it just a, a light? You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we throw this word around often. Oh, give God the glory. Oh, glory be to God. You know, and, and we get so used to some of these words and we're like, wait a second, what does it even mean to say that we live for God's glory? What does that mean? Well, let me give you an example of this. Bringing it, bringing it down to human scale. Does anybody know what my favorite uh, basketball team is? That was quick. Cleveland Cavaliers. They might know who my favorite player is. LeBron James. All right. So if you were to like walk into my office, which by the way, I have have a study now. All right. Come on, somebody. If you were to walk in my study, um, you're going to see 2016 Sports Illustrated, LeBron James in a Cleveland Cavaliers uniform kissing the the, the, the trophy. All right. I mean, it's been like, what, what is that, seven years, eight years? And I still get happy thinking about the one championship that, that Cleveland has. Why do you guys know that about me? <laughs> like, think about that. that was, those were pretty quick answers, you know? Well, maybe it's because you talk about LeBron at least three or four times a year in your sermons. <laughs> Probably more than that. It's because, at a lesser level, I have lived to make great the name of LeBron James, meaning the whole world knows who he is because of me. (laughs) You know, I mean, I saw him play in high school, and I'm like, I'm going to make this guy famous. (laughs) Not quite. But, But there's something about the way I brag on LeBron James, and even my history with LeBron, seeing him play in high school, for example. Like, who cares? You know what I'm saying? But I brag on that. 
I brag on the fact that the Cavs beat the Warriors uh, eight years ago. <laughs> that is to lift the glory of the, ca- the Cavaliers, of LeBron James. Bring it, at, bring it down to human scale, right? Well, so what does it mean then? What it means to glor- give God the glory, to, to uh, give him what is due his name, it's synonymous with fame. It's to say, look, as Trip Lee puts it, we are built to brag. As human beings, we will brag about something. And we are ultimately to brag about Jesus Christ. We are to make Him famous. We are to lift Him up. We are to talk about our history with Him. We are to make Him look brilliant. Make Him look as beautiful as He is. Oh, and even in the best of our preaching and singing and prayers, we will only uh, just, just give a, a glimpse to the world of how beautiful He actually is. Amen? We're built to brag about Jesus Christ. Do you brag on Christ? Do you give God the glory? Do you lift high the name of Jesus so that the whole world might see how brilliant He is? This is what we're talking about. Does anyone know God is great? Has God made His greatness known in your life? Has God separated you from your sin as far as the east is from the west? He is the Creator of all things. He's redeeming a people to Himself. He's making all things new. Church, brag on Jesus Christ. Brag on the Father. Brag on the Holy Spirit. Go and tell it on the mountains, over the hills, and everywhere. But check this out. This is helpful. John Piper, in in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, great book on missions. John Piper says this. He says, the glory of God, I'm sorry, the glory God seeks to magnify is the glory of his own mercy. The glory that God seeks to magnify among the people. Like what aspect of God's glory? What aspect of God's fame? What aspect of God's brilliance is it that we are lifting high for all to see? Piper is saying, it is precisely the glory of His mercy. Turn to Romans 15. I want to show you this. Romans chapter 15. This is page 893 in the Pew Bibles. Here what we see is that God's purpose in calling Israel was so that Christ would come for the purpose of the Gentiles, a.k.a. the peoples, the nations, to glorify God for His mercy. Romans chapter 15, verse 8 and 9, it says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God, what? For what purpose? For His mercy. For His mercy. What, when we say, let's let God's glory be known, what 
aspect of God's glory. What are we talking about? We're talking about the glory of His mercy for sinners. His saving grace. His blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. For the forgiveness of a people who have turned against Him. He lived a life that they could not live. He died the death that they should have died. He was raised to give them new life to uh, give them assurance of their justification. And he looks at them and he says, all who turn from their sins and trust in me, you're saved by grace. That's lifting high the glory of his mercy. Look how merciful he is. And we have to know the gospel. This all fits together, doesn't it? We have to know how sinful we are in order to understand why his mercy is so glorious. If we minimize our sin, we will minimize his glory. We have to understand how wonderful heaven is going to be when He wipes away every tear where there is no pain and no, no death, where God's order has been put in place. Oh, how wonderful that's going to be. If we minimize what's coming, we minimize His glory, the glory of His mercy. And so what we're told here in Romans 15 is that God has done this through Israel, through Christ, so that the Gentiles, the peoples, us, might glorify God for His mercy. That's the purpose. As it is written, and then Psalm, uh, Paul quotes Psalm 18.49, which I've already read to you this morning. He says, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your, names, to, uh, to your name. Quoting from the Old Testament. What I'm trying to do is show you that from Genesis all the way through the New Testament, we see God's plan unfolding that His name might be proclaimed among the peoples. The God who called Israel then in the Old Testament is the same missionary sending God of Matthew chapter 28. The same God who forgives sins. The same God who remakes a people. The same God who calls us then to a life of holiness. The same God who gets the praise. God seeks to magnify His glory of the glory of His own mercy. So, going back to my first question, why do we do this? Why would anybody leave? Why would anybody sacrifice? Why would, any, why would we give money? Why would we send? Why would we train and commission? Why do we do missions? Now, culture is fascinating. And some people want to travel the world to see different cultures but that's not the primary reason we do missions. Hell is real. And we don't want people to go to hell. But even hell is not the primary reason we do missions. The world is a beautiful place. But sightseeing is not the primary reason we do missions. There are real needs in the world of poverty and injustice. And there are great humanitarian causes that Christians are part of and should be part of. But even needs are not the primary reason we do missions. Christians are not merely do-gooders. Christians are certainly not colonizers who are taking Western culture elsewhere. At least that's not God's plan. Missionaries are not poverty pimps who take selfies in the slums just for their Instagram. 
Piper puts it like this. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Meaning, why is it that we do this? Why would Adoniram Judson go? It's, there's, there's all of these man-centered reasons, which many of them, not all of them that I just mentioned, but many of them are good reasons, but that's not the primary reason. The primary reason is a God-centered reason, and that is because worship is what God wants. Worship is what God wants. Worship is the goal of the church. And because worship doesn't exist in the hearts of every man and woman and child across the globe, then therefore, missions exist. So missions has been defined in this way. It's evangelism which takes the gospel across ethnic, linguistic, geographic boundaries. Generally, we're thinking of places where there are there is no gospel presence at all. Sean mentioned this morning the 1040 window. Uh, there, there are uh, thousands of people groups that have no access to the gospel. Meaning, people that live maybe, let's say, on the 1500 block here of Druid Hill, they might not, might not be a Christian, but they have access to the gospel. You see the difference? There are people who live around the globe who don't have a church on their block or even in their country. They, there are people around this globe who don't even know the name of Jesus. No access to the gospel. And so missions, then, is, to, is evangelism, which takes place across these ethnic, linguistic, and geographic boundaries. That matters. Because the reason many of these people are not reached is because of geographic boundaries that are very hard to get through. Some have languages that are unwritten, that are... That, that are uh, uh, hard to understand and, and, and learn. They cr missions take, is evangelism that takes the gospel across these boundaries that gathers churches and then teaches them to obey all things Jesus has commanded. Meaning, because God is jealous for his namesake and because people don't give God the worship due his name, therefore, healthy churches have a right understanding and practice of missions. Are you with me? So, God wants the glory of His mercy known among the nations is my first point. My second point, which I'll be quicker on, is this. Healthy churches want the glory of God's mercy known among the nations. Go back to Matthew 28, if you would. Matthew chapter 28, it's on page 784 in the Pew Bible. Here, this is what's called the Great Commission where Jesus sends us out into the world. Jesus comes to them after his, uh, his resurrection and prior to His ascension. And He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Meaning, the Great Commission is not based on a preacher's authority. It's not based on a church's authority. It's not based certainly on a denomination's authority or on a mission agency's authority. It's based on the authority of Jesus Christ. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of your nation, of your block, of your family. Well, we could, you could say yes, 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 and yes. But he doesn't stop there. He says, of all nations. Now that word nations, somebody say nations. nations. That word nations 
could better be translated perhaps people groups. Nations, we should not think of like national boundaries, countries as they exist today with governments. Uh, Certainly that's included, but the word here is the word ethnos, which is this idea of peoples, people groups, uh, people who are defined by ethnicity or language and various boundaries. And what he's saying is, is there are people groups all around the globe, and your job is to take the gospel to all of these peoples. Same concept as we were reading back in Psalms. That his glory would be lifted up among all. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, and then doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, I don't have time to go into all of this, but uh, in the greater context of Matthew, Jesus founding the church, Matthew 16, exercising the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 18, and going on to the New Testament. What he's saying is, is that you are to form churches. So baptizing is the work of the church, in the New Testament, and teaching them. Teaching happens through the gathered church, whether it's through the, the, the public preaching of his word or through the, the teaching among the people. What he's saying is, is, is to go and take the gospel to all peoples everywhere and form churches. Meaning the Great Commission is church-based. The Great Commission is not just for the Rambo kind of Christians who say, I'm going to do this on my own. You guys slow me down. Me waiting for you to ordain or to give me the green light or put your hands on me. Like, I don't have time for that. I'm just doing this on my own. That doesn't make sense in the New Testament. The Great Commission is given to God's people, not to individuals. God's, the Great Commission is given uh, uh, to the church, and the church is to send people out. And as they go out, they're not just simply making disciples as quickly and as fast as they can make them and getting people to get converted and then just kind of move on, but rather he wants them to labor to create churches where they will be taught all things that he has taught. So we could call it church planting, if you would. So that's what we do in this Great Commission work. In Acts chapter 13, uh, we see the first two missionaries sent out, Paul and Barnabas, and they are sent out not on their own, but they are sent out by a church, the church in Antioch. They lay their hands on Paul and Barnabas, and they go. And what Paul does is in his missionary journeys, he goes into an area where Christ is not known. He labors to evangelize, and as there are converts, they are baptized, and they are brought together as a church and they grow a healthy church there, and as that church has indigenous leadership, they move on and do it again somewhere else. Missions. The Great Commission. Church-based. You with me? Now, for how long does this happen? Like, how do we know that this is not just about the first century? Well, he tells us. He says, uh, uh, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Meaning, this is an enduring commission. These original disciples are now dead, yet this commission still continues. How do we know that? Because the age has not yet ended. So a couple quick words of application. Number one, let us send and support missionaries as the Garden Church. Amen? Every Christian ought to be involved 
in missions in some fashion. Some will feel a sense of, I must go. I have this desire. I believe the Lord has given me this desire. I, I, I'm a healthy member of this church. I, I, uh, am, am, uh, uh, I'm seeing fruitfulness in my own evangelism, in my own life, and I have a desire to go where Christ is not known. And so for that reason, we've had the joy of sending out Jaden uh, Gaddison, as I mentioned, and Luke Gibbons and others in various ways. Every Christian ought to be involved. And maybe you're not the one that goes off to the Philippines like Jaden did, but perhaps you're involved in his training. And you say, well, how can I be involved in his training? We didn't do a training program. Well, let me say this. The church is the greatest training program. The church is the greatest training Like You get into a local church, a healthy local church, everything that we've talked about, you're a member of a faithful church, you will be trained as a missionary if the Lord moves in your heart in the way that I hope He does. We are involved in one another's training, and so we support through training. We support through prayer. We pray for missionaries. We, we fight through prayer. We are warriors through prayer. We support through funding. We give a, a, a money to support missionaries. We support through uh, uh, raising future missionaries up. And by the way, we support through raising our kids with an awareness of the Great Commission. Raising the next generation with this sense of desire of like, maybe I could go. And creating that culture within our own home. So let us send and support, number two application, let us remain as a church outward focused and not inward focused. Let us remain outward focused and not inward focused. You might be wondering, why is it on the day of the dedication of this building are we talking about missions? This isn't happenstance. I kind of thought this out a little bit. And I geared it this way. And it worked out. Because on this day, I don't want us to turn inward. An inward church will shrivel and die. I've wanted to get past the renovations of this building so that we could focus outward. Now, granted, we still got to maintain things and keep it clean and steward things, but we need to be an outward-focused church and never merely an inward-focused church. Well, what does that mean? Let me give you three levels of being an outward-focused church. Level one, our own community. Our own community, meaning a mission-minded church that doesn't care about their own community are hypocrites at best. If we're going to be mission-minded and care about the globe, we've got to care about whoever it is that lives in 1520 uh, and 1522 and 1524 and the people in our city and the people in our neighborhood. Are you with me? I mean, that's level one. Meaning, one of the reasons, I shared this last night at our, at our dedication dinner, one of the reasons I was so excited to get this building wasn't just for the sake of having a building, but it was because we almost had to leave the neighborhood. And it's not something that I talked about publicly because I didn't want to discourage people, but we, I, we had exhausted every option in this neighborhood, and we couldn't remain where we were at. And, and I realized if they don't accept our bid, on this building, and by the way, there were groups bidding much higher than us, from what I understand. We bid the highest we could bid, and I didn't think we were gonna get it, and I was preparing myself mentally for the fact that we're gonna have to start all over else in another community. So, in a sense, you know, why are we so excited about this space? Well, it, it allows us to remain here. 
You know, it allows us to remain in the community that we've been in for so long. And so I would say this, let us remain outward focused in our community. Let us continue to consider living and remaining in the neighborhood for the glory of God. Let us think of strategic ways that we could create a, a, a blazing epicenter of God's glory right here in the Upton Druid Heights neighborhood and surrounding communities. Level two, however, needs to also involve other churches that are not the Garden Church. One of the ways that we're doing this is we're hoping to, by God's grace, help plant other churches. You know, we have a concern that churches in tough areas are often overlooking uh, actual discipleship and just... uh, ending up with handouts and you know just doing nice things for the community and and we're like no we need to be making disciples and and so we want to help to build healthy churches in some of the overlooked communities throughout Baltimore and and the impact lord willing will be a uh, generations of change that can come through one person receiving the gospel and teaching the gospel to their children and then their to their children real impact the analogy I shared last night, like a greenhouse where we plant little, little sprouts, but like a greenhouse, the sprouts never are intended to just remain in the greenhouse, but you send them out and you plant them in various ways. And so we're hoping to help plant uh, churches as a church. But that leads me to level three, and that is the nations. It's what we're talking about here. But But I say all of that to say this, what we're doing here is actually what we do there. Meaning, I want to demystify missions. Some of you might be a little hesitant to even talk about missions because it sounds so nebulous and there's these missions experts out there and you know, how can I have any thoughts on doing missions when I have never even been overseas perhaps? Let me tell you how. It's been said that the same spirit that is at work here is at work there. And the same ecclesiology, meaning the theology of the church, what a church is, how a church is built on the gospel. And I don't mean all the cultural things, and I don't necessarily mean lights and whatever. I'm talking about the building blocks of a local church are the same here as they are in Myanmar. Does that make sense? And so if we don't understand a church here, we will not understand a church there. We think about the nations, and we think about How do we send out people who are qualified and able to help plant churches that preach the word of God, have a right understanding of the gospel, a right understanding of conversion, a right understanding of church membership and discipline, a right understanding uh, 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 of church leadership, a right understanding of evangelism, a right understanding even them of missions, of sending out more for the sake of the gospel. For example, George Lyle, one of the first missionaries, uh, perhaps the, the first missionary uh, from out, out of America. He was born a slave in America. And he, he became a pastor, was doing fruitful work here, ended up... Uh, uh, they, they, they sought to re, re-enslave him. He then left for Jamaica. And you know what he did in Jamaica when he got there? There was no gospel presence. He did the same thing in Jamaica as he was doing here. That's missions work. He built a healthy church. And over the years, he built a missions agency that sent missionaries to Sierra Leone and other places. Meaning, 
we, we can demystify it. We can understand what missions is. We send out people to proclaim the gospel, gather churches in places where Jesus is not known. Verse 20, Jesus says, I will be with you. Why does that matter? It's because missions will be fraught with suffering. And if Christ's presence is not with us, we cannot go forward. Jesus says in verse 20, I will be with you on this great commission until the end of the age. Brooks Buser, he was a missionary to Papua New Guinea and he planted a church there. It was an area among a people that had no concept of Christ. They had no written language. It was only a spoken language. And so as he went there, the first thing they had to do was learn the language, which they did. And then they had to begin translating the Bible. The problem was there was no alphabet to translate the Bible for the people. So they literally, the missionaries, created an, uh, uh, an alphabet so that they could then begin with Genesis and translate the Bible into their language. They then taught them how to read the Bible in their language. And eight years later, they finally had a local church uh, built in this area of Papua New Guinea. Years later, that church is fully led by indigenous workers, their own pastors, their own leadership. They recently have hosted their first missions conference with 17 other churches. And they planted gardens, plural, a year ago in order to have enough food for the missions conference. Talk about hospitality. Now, I say that to say this, though. In their first couple years there, when they had their first converts, their first converts were baptized with fresh bruises and cuts and teeth knocked out because of their new faith in Jesus Christ. One of the first women he baptized, she was literally missing a tooth that had been knocked out by her husband to show his disapproval of her baptism. Meaning, taking the gospel into places where Christ is not known will be met with suffering. And if you are not ready, you will doubt whether or not you're doing a good thing. And so Christ says, as you go, I want you to know, I will be with you. I will be with you. Suffering for the new converts, but also suffering for, uh, uh, for the missionaries themselves. Adoniram Judson, I've already mentioned him. What suffering he faced. Even his own converts. When they first saw converts in, in Burma, the king had rejected Christianity and subjected their converts to disembowelment if they were baptized. One of the converts, he was asked, he was a new Christian now, and he said, he, uh, Adonairam asked him, are you going to give up Jesus now that you might be disemboweled because of your faith in Christ. And he said this, he said, Christ has taught us not to fear him who can kill the body, but to fear him who can throw both body and soul into hell. Christ was with them. The point of my sermon is this, catch a vision for the glory of God. And then lift up our heads as we do and see the nations, and become passionate that God's glory would be made known among, uh, among the nations. And in doing so, what we're doing is we're living with the end goal in mind. 
I mean, wasn't this even how Adoniram Judson asked her, uh, his future father-in-law for the, uh, his daughter's hand in marriage? He said, would you do this for the sake of perishing souls, the end goal in mind, for the sake of the glory of God? We are driven through our suffering saints as we keep the end goal in mind. One quick word of, of praise. Troy Bush, who, Pastor Troy, who just shared this morning, he has a, a congregation that meets in partnership on their, in their church. That congregation, I just learned yesterday or the day before, when was it that we met? Yesterday? Whenever. Yesterday. I just learned yesterday. I was like, oh man, i got to add this to my sermon. This is so good. That congregation is from Myanmar, Burma, where Adoniram Judson went. And one of the men who helped found that congregation, his like great-great-great-grandfather was led to Christ by Adoniram Judson. Isn't that amazing? What a, what, a, what a sacrifice he made. But was his sacrifice worth it, saints? Was his sacrifice worth it? Hallelujah to God be the glory. But even beyond the converts and beyond the next few generations, we look forward to the return of Christ. And we keep that end goal in mind. And what we know is this, is that Christ will accomplish His purposes in the world. His glory will be made known throughout the whole world. It is said in Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Oh, Christ, church, had all the riches of heaven and made himself of no reputation to come and die for us. Humanity's problem is that if we have something good, we don't want to send that to someone else. But church, Christ was sent. Think about it. Christ was sent. The image of the glory of God. Christ was sent. He left His Father to save a wretch like me. Christ was sent. He who knew no sin became sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ was sent. He left all the wealth and became poor so that the poor might become rich. Christ was sent to do what no man could ever do, and that is to die for another. And in His death, He was lifted high in His glory on that old rugged cross, the glory of His mercy. And He died. But His story doesn't end there, does it? Three days later, Christ was raised from the dead met with His disciples, trained them for 40 days, and then He ascended to be with the Father and said, go and tell all people the good news of Jesus Christ. May My glory spread through the nations and I will be with you always. And where I go, I will come again. Christ is coming again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. He will get what He sets out to accomplish. Do you know the glory of His mercy, church? Many don't. And that's why missions exist. Because worship doesn't. And so may our lives 
reflect his glory. May we be a peculiar people in this world. May we be a healthy church. And may his glory then be praised among the nations. Now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who was sent so that we might be made rich, forgiven of our sins, cleansed of our unrighteousness, given a great inheritance in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would use us to send and support missionaries to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, to take the gospel to all peoples so that you might be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.